your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Fourth and a half yard at the six of Colorado. Now it's going to be an empty set. Snap back. Adrian's going to run off the right side. He's in there for a first down. He's in there for a touchdown. Nebraska takes the lead back here at Folsom Field. Now let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Thank you. Welcome. Wednesday night, Sports Nightly here on the Husker Sports Network. Hope you had a good day today. Today was September the 11th, and that certainly is a date that is etched in all of our minds with the tragic events 18 years ago. Ben McLaughlin, man, has it been really 18 years since that took place? You know, every year, it's, it's crazy how much it hits you every year. Um, I guess you remember, I can, you I, go back to where yeah, you were. I, I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but um, and, and for those that have been there and seen the the monument, it, it's just it just grips you. And and yeah, I mean, every year uh, you just you flash back to it. And, and today, I was thinking about how much technology has changed since 2001. You know, it's inevitable that you're going to find old footage on social media or YouTube or whatever today on, on September 11th. But, you know, you imagine what it would be like nowadays if, if something like that were to happen and just the footage with cell phones and, and cameras and everything, just how, how much different that day. And, and to me, that. It would have been different in terms of quality, but it's amazing how much was captured that day. Right. You know, I mean, you can find the footage. Hundreds of different people had footage that day. And, yeah, it's this day, it's a it's definitely a somber feeling today. You know, typically, typically flags are at half staff. I, I know they are in Nebraska. I'm assuming they are throughout the country as well. You know, it's it's it, it takes you back to that time and. All the people that suffer, you know, most of the attention focuses on the on the towers in New York going down. I was in D.C. a year or so ago and, and took a tour of the Pentagon and looked at their memorial because one of the planes, you know, crashed into the Pentagon. And, and then I watched a couple of those documentaries about the, the plane that the the passengers, you know, stormed the cockpit and took it down and in Pennsylvania and how they put it to a vote. You know, the passengers voted, should we do this or not? And they voted to do it. They all then took out their cell phones, tried to make a one last phone call before they charged the cockpit. And what a, what a heroic uh, time that was for those people to do that. So very somber. And also what I think about too is that how, how sports really played, a, a, I think, a big role in kind of helping everybody heal after that took place. Uh, everything went dark for a weekend. No college football that next weekend. The event happened on a Tuesday morning. No college football. No pro football. Major League Baseball shut down for a week or so. The first college football game back was here as the Huskers hosted Rice on a Thursday night. A, I think maybe the, the only time that a weeknight game has been held at Memorial Stadium and how patriotic the entire night was with the tunnel walk and and uh, certainly, you know, people have images of Yankee Stadium and, and baseball kind of picking back up and, and getting the, the nation to heal a little bit. And it does, one, it puts something like that, puts sports into perspective. Absolutely it does. It's what's important and what's not. And we can sit here and be mad and upset that the Huskers blew a lead in Boulder, Colorado on Saturday. And, 
hey, that's fine. I love passion going that way as well. Um, but it also puts an instructive. But it also, I think, teaches that sports can be a great healing thing. And I, I, that, that makes me feel better that sports had a big part in getting our country to kind of heal and get, get back on our feet after that tragic day. Yeah, I mean, and, and that, that's something that I always kind of look for and, and I need because I don't handle losing very well, you, you know, whether it's Huskers or Chiefs or what, playing, you know, as a kid or in the high school or whatever. Like, I was never a very good loser. And, and so that's something that, that I always try and get now that I've grown up a little bit is, is find some perspective. You know, it was the weirdest thing. I was out mowing my lawn on Sunday, you know, the day after the game, and there was a little girl learning how to ride her bike across the street. And she wiped out, fell down, started crying. The dad picked her up and put her back on the bike and started going. I was like, huh. You know, I I kind of needed that. I didn't yeah. I maybe didn't want the little girl to get hurt, but you know, it just kind of puts in perspective. You know, you fall off the bike, you literally I was pretty snarky old man I felt on sat on Sunday after the game with with the way I felt and you know was throwing a fit that I had to wake up and mow the lawn after after I had to you know endure that on Saturday but you know I'm not out there for 10 minutes and that happens you know it's just it just the little things like that that go okay it was just a football game you know and I get to go to work on Monday come back and talk about it and and we get get to do it all over again next saturday so yeah you know i i'm upset people are frustrated and angry but you know there are bigger problems in the world sure are and that's what we're here for folks we're therapeutic that's kind of what we are we're, we're kind of therapeutic counselors and, and ben and for I as are. much as you think we help you you guys help us <laughs> too you do so yeah no doubt i spoke to a journalism class yesterday on, on campus you should go and talk to that that particular class every year and they ask a lot of questions, like great questions. And they said, I kind of hate to ask you this on this particular week because I know you're smarting from the Colorado game. They go, how tough was that ninth inning in Oklahoma City? Oh. Three, and I go, thank you very much. <laughs> Ruin this day now. Let me relive that thing again. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, that, that wasn't fun. Yeah. Bad. Speaking of Husker baseball, fall ball begins tomorrow for Will Bolt's team. He's going to be available to the media tomorrow. We're hoping to grab him uh, for a segment on Sports Nightly tomorrow night. So fall ball for baseball, about ready to get going. All right, uh, here's what we have on the program tonight. We'll have a practice report coming up here in a few minutes. Troy Walters, offensive coordinator, met with the media today. Uh, some tougher questions for him about lack of involvement from different guys on the wide receiving core. How has that offensive line graded out through two weeks? Um, and and the kicking topic has came up again today when the offensive coaches met with the media. Ben Dylan Jorgensen, who did the P, kicked the PATs in Week One, missed the field goal against South Alabama, kicked off twice against Colorado, had two had two that went out of the back of the end zone for touchbacks, and then we didn't see him again. Well, it was reported today he wasn't in uniform today. Neither he or Barrett Pickering were in uniform today. Must be hurt. So Nebraska, uh, multiple reports, Nebraska has kind of had some tryouts the last couple of days to try to get a couple of kickers, students that are already on campus that maybe can come out and help this football team. Uh, Isaac Armstrong, I'm pretty sure, is going to be the guy that does the place kicking this week for Nebraska, and, and Will Pristup is probably going to do the kickoffs. But they're they're out looking for guys to add to the roster a little bit. This is unbelievable. I cannot believe we're talking about this week three of this football season. It's crazy. You know, and all offseason we were talking about how great Barrett Pickering was at the end of last year and how, you know, I think we had a, a one call on on kicking pretty much all summer. And it's, both you and I are like, we feel great. 
Barrett was it was great to end the year, won the Michigan State game, and he's coming back as only a sophomore, and that's all we have to worry about, you know, is you know him kicking for the next three years. And yet here we are, you know, in the third game and trying to find kickers elsewhere. It's it's and this story pops up every now and again. This isn't Nebraska is not the only school to have gone through this. I, I mean, I think Northwestern had a, a walk on kicker uh, that that kicked for him last year. And you go back a few years ago and you know, I think it might have been Louisville that had a student, you know, yeah. come out and, 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 and kick win the kicking job because of injuries like it, this because of the lack of scholarships then we had a caller last night going why does nebraska only have one scholarship kicker this happens occasionally you only have one of them rarely do you have two of them and if they get hurt you're down to you know scraping the bottom of the barrel you would not have more than one scholarship place kicker you might have a scholarship place kicker a scholarship punter and at times a scholarship long snapper. You might, but you're not going to have more than one at any position. Uh, so this this is crazy that Nebraska's having to deal with this. It came down to a kick Saturday at Colorado. It could come down to a kick this week against Northern Illinois. Um, I, I think as the more I get into my game prep throughout the week, the more I realize, and we all should, because this team came here two years ago and beat the Huskers, this is a very competent opponent that's going to be here Saturday night. They are going to come in here fully believing they're going to win the game. <laughs> they did last time they were here, you know. I, so, yeah, they're, they're going to they're gonna think they're going to win. You know, they came here last time and beat Nebraska, and I don't know why they would think any, any differently. You know, they're not going to come in here and expect to get blown out. Uh, you know, Utah is a is a very formidable team, a very physical, maybe the team. best team in the Pac-12, maybe. And, and they stood toe to toe with those guys, and you know, it. And and I was on a, a show this week too, and I basically said, it doesn't matter who Nebraska plays. Like they have the team has to prove to themselves, not to us, not to the media, not to you know, everybody that had them ranked in the preseason, they have to go prove to themselves that they can beat and bury somebody. And it doesn't matter who it is. Northern Illinois just happens to be the next team on the schedule. After a game like that, uh, you know, Darian Daniel said it on on Monday at the at the press conference. The only way to get rid of the feeling and the taste of losing is to win. And that's what we have to do on Saturday. Yeah. So we'll have a practice report coming up here in a couple of minutes. It's Wednesday night. That means a couple of things. One, the Big Ten Blitz is back. We'll have that in hour number two. We will check in on what some up- upcoming matchups for Indiana, for Iowa, and for Michigan State. I'll have some interesting matchups this weekend. We'll dive into that. We'll also play our Big Red Replay in hour number two. That's our weekly contest brought to you by the Nebraska Lottery. You're going to get somebody a chance to be a winner. Third hour, buy, sell. We'll have that for you for the top of hour number three. And Lane Grindle will stop by our Major League Baseball insider. Uh, also coming to you tonight during hour number three. All right, time for tonight's practice report. Every practice. We're going to work on it every single day until these guys master it. All season long. There's nothing better as an athlete than being part of something that's bigger than just yourself. And I think these guys are starting to feel that and we'll keep building it. It's time for a Husker football practice report on Sports Nightly. With JTEC Construction, it's simple. It's time to replace your windows. Give the official exterior experts of the Huskers a call for a free no-obligation assessment defense day yesterday offense day today as it always is on wednesday offensive coordinator 
Troy Walters meeting with members of the media. And there's been a lot of talk this week, starting on Monday, about getting more wide receivers involved into the offense and how they can incorporate more bodies. Troy Walters was asked that same question here today. I think this game, uh, you'll see more than three guys. Um, you know, they have they have a good secondary, very fast. Uh, the corners uh, play off at times. So, you know, we've got to get more guys going. And that's on me. I've got to get guys in early. Um, get them in the flow of the game because we're going to need the depth as we continue the season. So um, I'll place all the blame on me. I've got to do a better job of getting guys in early, trusting that they're going to do what they're supposed to do and uh, and keep other guys fresh because, you know, if J.D. and, and Mike and Cunavive, they're the only three playing, then they're going to get worn down by the end of the year. So we got to get Chase involved. we got to get McQuitty. we got to get uh, Jerron Woodyard in there and, and uh, add some more depth to the receiving core. It, it's so easy, you know, as, to, to sit there and watch the game and get wrapped up and go, okay, all right, where's JD? We got to get JD involved, you know. But but as a coach, you know, to have that in the back of your head to maybe get more guys involved, it can be really hard, especially when you're in an emotional game like you are against Colorado. And think about it. We've had four halves of football. The second half against USA, there were 17 offensive snaps. Hard to get a lot of guys' snaps when you don't have it. And the third quarter against Colorado, only one first down. So it was a lot of three and out. So you can't get a lot of guys rotated in if you're not moving the sticks on a more regular basis. Now, one of the things that uh, has also been a conversation is wide receivers getting open. What can the wide receivers do to get open more often? Here's the offensive coordinator. Yeah, play fast. Um, you know, play fast, being more consistent, playing fast. I think Mike, you know, shows spurts at times, but then doesn't. So we just got to be more consistent, playing fast. If we play fast, then we'll get to where we need to be, and the quarterbacks will have confidence in us. And so that's the biggest thing. Um, I think the guys understand what we're doing. They understand the game plan going into the games. It's just letting it rip playing loose and playing fast. And uh, and a lot of it's on me. I got I to gotta play other guys and, and trust that they're going to get the job done. And, you know, they've done a good job in practice. And, and we always preach how you practice, how you're going to play. And so, uh, you know, got to get guys, more guys involved. And uh, and uh, when they do, they can, they can help this offense go. Adrian Martinez did a great job in our interview with us on Monday, kind of explaining a little bit of, of Nebraska's offense and he goes you know one thing our guys have to do is is trust their routes because the way that our offense works you have to run your route and run it well to get another guy's route open it's not just okay JD on a post and that's who we're going to throw it to it's it's a lot of concepts of you know this guy running this route this guy running this route and by player A running their route, player B is going to become open because of the way that they run the route. So, you know, staying committed to what you're doing, I think, is a big thing as well. One of the guys that we have yet to see get involved, and I don't think he has a catch yet, is kind of Noah, the Cal transfer. Troy Walters talked about his lack of production. Yeah, nothing, nothing on him. I mean, he's done everything we've asked. Um, you know, he gets out on that field. He, he plays hard. He's running good routes. It's just sometimes they, the read doesn't go to him or, or Adrian throws it somewhere else. But uh, we've got to get him more in the mix. We've got to get balls to him. We've got to get him touches. Um, um, he's a great route runner. He's going to be where he's supposed to be. So we got to find ways to, to get the ball in his hands. And he's blocked his butt off. I yeah. mean, go back and watch the the tape of the Colorado game. The the Mo big run, the the first play of the game, the the swing pass with the trips look. He's right there in the middle of it, laying blocks downfield. So, you know, he may not be hauling in the passes, but he's definitely doing his job. And now he's earned some catches. 
Yes. He's earned those touches. One guy that we haven't seen at all this year and working his way back for the Huskers is Cade Warner, who made a big catch against Iowa, that two-point conversion. Uh, when will he be back, and what's his update? Here's Troy Walters. No, he's – yeah, he's in the mix. He's, he's close to getting back. You know, he had an injury in, the, in fall camp, missed a lot of fall camp. Um, so we're just trying to gradually bring him back and uh, make sure that he doesn't re-injure that, that – uh, that uh, part of his body and uh, but he's a guy that uh, when he's healthy and he's full go he's going to come out there he's he'll be out there and he'll be able to help and um, like he did last year that's good news it's a guy they just trust yeah it's good news yeah uh one one area we have not seen be successful at all of this offense has been running the football between the tackles and it was pretty poor against Colorado last week as well as in week one against South Alabama I tracked all the runs between the tackles and Nebraska didn't have a single one over five yards and I think averaged somewhere in the neighborhood of 3.1 3.2 yards per carry between the tackles not really something that you want to have happen are they close to getting some plays in that area here's the OC yeah, um, you know, we, we had a couple explosive runs. Um, you know, it's one of those things where we've got to be patient, take the four, take the three, four-yard runs, three, four yards, and then wear them down with our tempo, with our speed, and then second half, the big run should should come about. So, uh, you know, we were good on the perimeter with our outside runs, but we've got to be better inside runs. You know, these guys do a lot of slanting and twisting, so there'll be some opportunities, right, they get out of their gap there'll be some opportunities for some big runs and uh you know in, in terms of the run we've got to get the whole run game going inside outside everything i w- i would agree i mean the running of the football is going to be a focus every game that nebraska football plays uh no matter who's back there who's coaching them who the opponent is it's not going to matter that's something that that has to be has to be there if you can't run between the tackles you have a hard time finishing games out we saw that at colorado got the football off the turnover five minutes ago that would have been a nice chance to run the football between the tackles gain four or five yards run some clock drift down that game and it might turn out to a different result it's got to get better what about just the overall grade of the offensive line and how they've done so far here's troy walters Overall, I mean, overall, we've just been average. Um, I think you talk to Coach Austin, talk to the offensive line, they would say they've been just average um, in terms of just moving guys, creating lanes. Um, the first game, we didn't rush the ball very well. Um, so our standards are high. And then we've got a great offensive line. They understand that. Coach Austin's a great coach. And those guys understand that they've got to continue to get better. Um, but we have to continue to get better across the board. Um, receivers have been average. Quarterback's been average. Running back, we've just been average on offense. And we've got to be better. And uh, we practiced that way this week. Um, the one of the positives out of the Colorado game, we got better from week one to week two. Um, and so now if we can take the next step this week, um, then we'll be we'll be pleased at the coaching staff. There was improvement, but when you're a, a team that prides themselves on offense and scoring a lot of points, being average isn't good enough. Right. That's right. It can't be. Average gets you to be one and one. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's exactly right. Then one of the next steps besides, you know, the improvement – is playing a complete game. We heard three quarters from both offensive and defensive. Uh, how about playing a complete game? Here's what the offensive coordinator say about that. Well, really, it was. It's the second. We played three good quarters. Uh, first quarter was good. Second quarter, that third quarter was a bad quarter. And so we've got to find ways to come out of the half, come out at a, at a halftime, and and do what we did in the first half. You know, first drives of the game, the first two games, we've gone down and scored touchdowns. So um, we've got to be better as coaches preparing our guys coming out of halftime, coming out of the break, 
so we can start fast in the second half. Because in that game, if we score one more time and go up 24, it's probably over. Um, but we, we, as an offense, we uh, didn't do what we were supposed to do, kept them in the game, and uh, kept the defense on the field too long, and, and they made plays. So we've got to be better coming out of, uh, out of halftime. I mean, I, everything they're saying makes sense, and it, and I think it echoes a lot of the calls and yeah. and comments we've gotten from fans. So, I mean, I know they recognize that it's time to fix it, and hopefully things go better on Saturday. All right, very good. There's our JTEC practice report for the day. Right now, let's start the hour with the Blitz. The Big Ten Blitz, Iowa. And here to talk about the Hawkeyes, Mark Morehouse of the Cedar Rapids Gazette, Iowa, off to a 2-0 start and off of a conference win last week as they blanked Rutgers 30 to nothing. Let's start on defense, Mark. Only allowed seven points through two games. Wow, some eye-popping stats. What have you seen defensively from the Hawks? Uh, they, you know, the secondary has had a lot of guys in and out, and it, it went into the season with a few guys on the shelf who uh, they're backup corners. So, they're, they're kind of bailing water a little bit back there, but they've held up really well. Uh, I was getting a great pass rush. Uh, I think the linebackers have been a little bit better than people maybe thought they might have been. Uh, last year, there was I ran a lot of 4-2-5 defense, uh, just there to stop the spread. Teams that uh, lined up with four wide receivers, three wide receivers. Uh, there's been very, very little of that this year. I don't think it's quality of play. I think it's just what teams have given them. Uh, I was getting a lot of tight ends this year. I think AJ Epinesa is kind of demanding that attention. But uh, so, so far, so good. Um, Rutgers is, remains really bad. Yeah, I think you're right. They may have won their only game of the year. All right, yeah. offensively, it, it looks like there's been some good development made by the wideouts uh, for Nate Stanley to throw to. What have you seen through two games? That's an excellent point, Greg. The, the, the wide receivers are night and day. Uh, when when Brandon Smith and, Mir, and Amir Smith Marset got here, they were uh, high school freshmen or high school seniors, essentially thrown into the lineup, and you could see the growth or the lack thereof or the lack uh, just just not being ready. And now, two years, three years later, now they're both juniors. Uh, three years later, now they are full of, a full go, and they are really pushing things this year. Uh, Smith Marset. Showing the speed that I think everybody knew saw last year a little bit in the kick return game where, you know, he was named the Big Ten kick returner of the year. It looks like he wants to add wide receiver. He's playing very well. Uh, Brandon Smith, I, Iowa last year didn't throw a lot of fades. This year they're going, uh, they're throwing some fades up and uh, through two games, it's uh, they, they have six holding or pass interference penalties. Most of those trying to go to uh, Brandon Smith. He's a big body wide receiver and uh, he is a real weapon. Um, Beyond that, they got a couple guys in the slot I really like and who might end up being sort of J.B. JB Steelman-ish. Uh, Nico Regani and Tyrone Tracy are showing some really quick moves. Uh, uh, tough tough decision and tough play uh, tough when it comes to play, play time for those guys, but I think uh, they'll, they'll find room for them. And then the Michigan transfer, Aller Martin. Iowa has really five pretty strong wide receivers. I don't see the rotation going any, any deeper or any shorter than that. Yeah, getting Martin eligible was a huge get for uh, for Iowa during the month of August. All right, here we go. Cyhawk week. This is going to be fun. Game day is going to be in Ames. Iowa State um, wasn't overly impressive in their opener, uh, but a week off. How about this matchup? What are you, what are you excited for for this one? Uh, I think uh, if Iowa State can get vertical, they can win the game. I'm not sure they'll be able to I'm not sure how Iowa State's offense attacks Iowa's defense. I like Iowa on the line of scrimmage. I think Iowa State should be, might be able to gum Iowa up in the run a little bit, but I think the run pass, uh, 
I, I think I, I'm, I'm at Iowa 24-14. I know that uh, probably get me booed up the stage anywhere near a game day, but uh, <laughs> I just think I, I can't look past Iowa's, Iowa on the line of scrimmage. I think they have a, a decided, not a decided advantage, I think they have a slight advantage of both sides. How about, t- tell me about how big a rival this is in the state. I mean, and the two teams are not in the same conference, and yet th- there certainly is some, some blood between the two. Give us kind of a sense of that. Well, imagine if there was a Nebraska state, and uh, maybe in the middle of the state. And imagine what that would be like, Greg. I mean, Nebraska and Nebraska state, I think... You know, a lot of, not a lot of states have this, where there's two Division One programs. I, I can't name them all. I think Pennsylvania, right off the top of my head, or California. But uh, a little state like Iowa, three million people, and it has two Division or two FBS programs. I think it's kind of amazing, and I think it's this is kind of a zenith game in that both teams. Iowa State was almost ranked, but Iowa is ranked. Iowa State is a rankable team. I think they're that caliber. Uh, I, I know I've said this a million times in 21 years doing this, but this might be the biggest Iowa State game there's been. So uh, I think everyone should have fun. And I, the passion of it, uh, you know, it's losing to maybe your next door neighbor or the guy across the street and then hearing about it for 365. So that's what's on, on the line mostly. Oh, it's going to be fun. Three o'clock on FS1 in Ames, Iowa against the Cyclones. Mark Morehouse of the Cedar Rapids. Do that, Mark. We appreciate it. Thank you, Greg. Indiana. Here to talk about the Hoosiers, Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star. IU is off to a 2-0 start, including a 52-0 trouncing of Eastern Illinois on Saturday. What's been the great card through two games, Zach? How has this team played and looked? You know, I think what stands out most about Indiana is even recognizing the opposition, Ball State and Eastern Illinois. It's, it's going to get a lot tougher, obviously, very quickly. Um, Indiana is and has looked like all of the things it said it would be and it would look like um, through the offseason. More athletic, uh, more explosive offensively, more playmakers all over the field, more um, just just more depth almost everywhere. And while young, um, I think the kind of youth that you can count on a little bit more, guys that have played a little bit more essentially, guys that that at least have a little bit more of that experience. Um, you know, even if you're a second, third, fourth year player, you, you, you know, you kind of look at those guys and you say, yeah, but he's got a lot of snaps under his belt for his age. Um, you know, uh, you don't see a lot of guys that, that maybe have played as much as, as Indiana's got sophomores, registered sophomores at safety, at linebacker, at tight end, at running back. Um, but you, then you look at kind of their, their resumes and you say, yeah, but he knows what he's doing. He's been out on the, the field for a, a full Big Ten season or even two. So, again, I think it's a lot of what Indiana said. It felt like it could be. It felt like it would look like. Um, that said, this weekend is, is going to be a real litmus test for just how far Indiana actually has come um, in the last 12 months or so because – you know, I don't know that it's necessarily one where Indiana has to beat Ohio State, but Indiana understands that the measuring stick in the Big Ten East every single year includes dealing with Ohio State, and this weekend is an obvious example of that. Zach, the last time we talked, there had not been a decision made at quarterback. Michael Penix wins the job. How has he looked in weeks one and two? Again, I think, you know, I don't, as advertised, feels a little bit like kind of glossing it over, but a lot of what I think 
Indiana hoped for. He's more explosive downfield than Indiana's had in that position in a couple of years. He's confident. He's poised. He's made some mistakes. There's there's no doubt about that. He threw a couple of interceptions against Ball State, including one that was just, I mean, I think he just frankly didn't see the defensive back standing in front of his receiver. Um, but he's handled through two weeks everything that a, a starting quarterback in the Big Ten has to handle, and, and he's not really seemed much like a redshirt freshman in doing that. And so that's not surprising. I mean, this was a guy that probably wasn't terribly far away from winning this job last season. Um, he's always been kind of mature beyond his years when you talk to people around him, you know, his, his coaches and his, his parents and his teammates and people like that. Um, and he's also, I think, kind of always been a guy that was able to embrace in particular the intangibles of the quarterback position. I don't think he was just an athlete that found his way to quarterback. I think that he plays quarterback for a reason. But um, again, and, and I feel like I've said this whenever anybody's asked these sorts of questions this week, this is, you know, this week is, is a huge, huge step forward um, and a huge step up and not just competitive level, but the kind of test that are either going to prove out that, that Michael Penix can be a really good quarterback in the Big Ten right away or that it's going to take him some time. You mentioned it. It is the Buckeyes in Bloomington to take on IU in the conference opener for both. What does IU need to do to hang in this game and, and give themselves a chance to win it? You know, I, I think it's kind of a – I was talking to somebody else today. I forget who, but um, I said that for me – Indiana's got to be explosive on offense and it's got to last on defense. You know, so many of the times that we've seen Indiana, particularly at home, um, you know, compete with Ohio State and then, you know, kind of hit a wall, you know, run over the cliff in terms of their depth and their conditioning level because they just simply don't have the athletes. They don't have the depth Ohio State has. Ohio State tacks on a couple touchdowns in the fourth quarter and we all come away feeling like, hey, that that. That final score doesn't seem to reflect how close the game was, how competitive the game felt. But what it does reflect is the gulf between the two programs because Ohio State can limit its best player snaps in the first three quarters and then unleash them in the fourth quarter and Indiana just can't handle it because their guys are, you know, basically in the red zone. So they've got to be explosive on offense. I mean, at some level, I'm not even sure you you think about a lot of ball control in this game. You you take the shots whenever you can get them, wherever you can get them, because I don't see a world where Indiana um, can beat Ohio State without scoring maybe at least, you know, 32, 34 points. Um, But then you also really need that defensive depth that it seems like Indiana has, excuse me, to hold up. And all of this sounds a little bit like, well, aren't you saying Indiana needs to be perfect and Ohio State needs to be flawed? Yes, but, you know, the reality is if you're Indiana, you have to start somewhere. You know, you're dealing with maybe pound for pound the most talented team in the Big Ten. You you can't just throw up your hands and say, oh, this is impossible. You've got to start somewhere. And it's just a question of where. And I think for Indiana, it's, it's going to be in if there is an upset on the cards this weekend. That explosion on offense, that explosiveness sort of transitioning, obviously, to a much higher competitive level, while the defensive depth, relying on some young guys, some athletic playmaking guys, nevertheless, you know, really kind of shows through in ways that it hasn't been able to against the likes of Ohio State and Michigan in the last few years. Hoosiers host the Buckeyes, 11 o'clock Central on Big Fox. Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star. Zach, we appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Michigan State.
And here to talk about the Spartans, Hondo Carpenter of Spartan Nation. Mark D'Antonio challenged that offense to be better in week two, and they certainly were, Hondo. 51 points. How much improvement did you see in that game? Well, forget the 51 points because it was against a Western Michigan. They should blow out Western Michigan and score 51. But I have never seen an offensive line. I mean, it literally was like they had dual personalities. They were terrible in the first game against Tulsa. If they'd been arrested for being a power five offensive line, there wouldn't have been any kind of evidence to convict them. And then they looked just absolutely dominant. In fact, I was with offensive coordinator Brad Salem. I just left him, and I asked him in all of his years of coaching, has he ever seen between just two games, between one game, an offensive line anyway change like that? And he said, he made it never. It was a phenomenal performance, but let's remember, it was Western Michigan. Elijah Collins has certainly burst onto the scene. Tell us about that fella. Yeah, he was a guy that Michigan State, to their credit, coveted early in his recruiting class as one of their top targets that they wanted. He reminded a lot of people of Jeremy Langford, who you may remember ran for almost 1,600 yards, set a school record for touchdowns the year they went to, won the Rose Bowl in 13. Um, and he just has terrific vision. There were four plays on Saturday specifically where his eyes were straight ahead looking to the sideline. He was running east and west, and he cut back out of nowhere. How he saw the hole, I don't even know. And one of the defenders from Western Michigan said there was no way he saw that hole. He just had to feel it. It was amazing. I mean, when you're when you're even shocking the people you're playing against, that tells you how good it was. It was the first time I've seen him comfortable since he got here, and, man, he played like a star. Hondo, a lot of people before the season began thinks, thought Michigan State's defense was top five. Have you seen anything in the first two games to, to steer you off something like that? No, I said nationally that this will be the best defense that Michigan State has had since they won the 66 national title. You may remember four of the top seven NFL picks in 66 were Michigan State players. That's how dominant they were. Um, I said this is the best that they've had since then. I stand by it. And, but here was the thing. Last year, they were almost this good, but they would lose games 13-6, 13-3, because they just literally ran out of gas because the offense was three and out. If this, I said before the year, and I'll say it, on, I, I believe I said it on your show, but I'll, I've said it all over the country. If this offense gets into the top 50 in America, they don't even have to be in, in the top you know, 10. If they get the top 50 of America with that defense, they will win the Big Ten and play in the college football playoff. That's how dominant this defense is. Uh, Talking to the coaches they've played, um, they've both said never seen a defense like it. I talked with uh, a couple of NFL scouts who were at the game on Saturday or their organizations were, who both told me there's legitimately 12 to 13 prospects in the two deep of the Michigan State defense. That tells you all you need to know, including their top six, their top first, second, and third string defensive tackles are all NFL prospects. That's impressive. All right, let's turn our attention to the game this Saturday. Arizona State comes in. I know last year the Spartans really felt like they let one get away in the desert. Size this matchup up for us. You know, that's a great question. I appreciate that. And let me just say, they didn't let one get away. The offensive coaching did. So that defense was phenomenal. Um, Michigan State, if the de- even if the offense isn't as good as Western as they were against Western Michigan, because the defense is a little bit better, as long as they're top 50, and I think they will be without a doubt, 
Michigan State's going to roll by two scores on this one. They, their real test that isn't going to come the next week when they go to Northwestern. I don't think it happens till they hit Wisconsin, you know, and they hit Indiana and they hit Penn State. Those are going to be the harder tests, but I think they roll Arizona State by double digits. And if they don't, it's going to be a story of once again the Jekyll and Hyde offense uh, shows up, and this time it's Dr. Jekyll. Arizona State at Michigan State, 3 o'clock on Big Fox. Hondo Carpenter, Spartan Nation. As always, Hondo, we appreciate it. Thank you, buddy. Right now, let's buy or sell. It's time to buy or sell. Buy sell is brought to you by Famous Dave's, your perfect catering choice for business lunches, meetings, weddings, parties, and more. Treat your guests to authentic smoked daily barbecue, made from scratch sides, and award-winning desserts. Famous Dave's, we do catering right. Now here's the hosts of Buy or Sell, Brett Whitty, Josh Elkerman, and Tim Curran. Whoa! (laughs) Pull this guy in off the streets or what? Something like that. We we found him roaming around down there. Just wandered in. (laughs) And they stuck a microphone in front of your face. (laughs) Well, they wasn't saying it was a good decision, but, you know. (laughs) Do you remember how to do this? I think so. Look, I get back in the saddle. I might need, uh, you know, some help, but uh, I can do it. (laughs) Wow. I know I'm just here to be, you know... Ben's coffee intern, but is it is oh. this is this the first trifecta host? No, no, no. Remember, there was a time when we did it. Do you guys remember this? Like a no. couple of years ago? We, yeah, yeah. It was it was a uh, it was not uh, clean. Let's it, just say yeah, that. Yeah, it was pretty messy. It, things got off that? the rails. Well, yeah, uh, probably, I don't know. probably mine. Probably, but we did it one time, so we're we're pulling it back again a second time, and Tim is back for the first time in a long time. All yeah, right. Both Tim and Brett who can get grumpy with this yeah. thing. Right? Yeah. yeah, Tim, have you have you calmed down at all or you still get off my lawn? <laughs> no, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how this uh, develops here. We need our time checker back is, is what the, the whole reason we brought right. him back here. Yeah. Right. Got to stay on got track. Off tra- yeah, got, got off the, track too much. I've got the <laughs> clock going back here. <laughs> all right, let's jump into some answers from last week, starting with Husker football by ourselves that there would be a defensive or special teams touchdown in the Nebraska-Colorado game. The answer was a sell. There were none of those. You guys both sold it, and we're both right. Well, there was uh, almost a kick return touchdown if yeah. Cam Taylor Britt didn't have anything to say about it. Yeah. Yep, got close. Yep. Uh, sticking with Husker football by ourselves, that Nebraska would have a player with more rushing or receiving yards than LaVisca Chenault had receiving yards. That ended up being a buy. Chenault only had 31 receiving yards. Nebraska had five players with more either rushing or receiving yards. You guys both sold that, though, and were both incorrect. Glad we were. Yeah, yeah. glad you were. Moving on to Husker Volleyball. By ourselves, in Nebraska would win one of their matches this weekend by a combined 22 points. The answer was a sell is plus 19 and plus 10. Uh, Greg and Ben both wrong. Both bought it. Hmm. Sorry plus about that. 19. Close. Close in that Arizona game. Yeah. Very, very close, but couldn't quite couldn't go quite get to that 22-point margin. Is it a coincidence this hasn't started off well for you and I and Tim back? I don't think so. <laughs> no, not at all. This was in the works. Cooking the books back here. <laughs> 
Moving along to college football with our next answer by ourselves that Texas and Texas A&M would stay within a combined 29 points of LSU and Clemson. That was a bye. They did. They only lost by a combined 21 points. You guys both bought that, and you were both right. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Back on track. On the board. Man, yeah. we've been a, the same on all these. Is it I don't a coincidence? with you this much. Is it a coincidence that the answers that I give, you guys are right. The answers that Brett and Tim give, you guys are both wrong. <laughs> you, guys, you guys do decide who does what answer, so no, I it's don't think it's true. Also change you guys' answers back <laughs> up very frequently back here. Uh, sticking with college football buyers sell that a Big Ten team would win a game by at least 43 points over the weekend. That ended up being a buy Wisconsin, won by 61. Uh, then you had Maryland win by exactly 43, and Indiana won by 52. Uh, Greg, you sold that and got it incorrect. Ben, you got it. You bought it and got it right. Uh, you thought Illinois was going to do it, but so you didn't get the extra point, but you do. Three of them did it, and point. I didn't even get one of them right. That's yeah. kind of embarrassing. That is embarrassing. I mean, it's not embarrassing. You you, you got you guessed right. I'll take you it. got half right, I, I guess. I what's embarrassing is I didn't do that. I, had, right. I picked Awful. Illinois, and they won by eight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with I mean, a line, to be fair, the line was like 30-something, right? So. Yeah. Uh, they did not cover that. No, they did not. Not quite. <laughs> Sticking with college football, Byers saw that to a tag by Loa and Jalen Hurts would attempt to combine 35 passes or more in their games last Saturday. The answer was a bye, 42 total, 24 for Tua, 18 for Hurts. Uh, Greg and Ben in a shocking uh, move, <laughs> both wrong with a sell. Tua threw 24. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. I didn't think he'd get anywhere close to that. Yeah. Sad. <laughs> All you right. don't sound too sad. <laughs> How'd There's you tell? joy in their yeah. voices back they're, there right they're now. They're fist yeah. pounding back oh, there. Oh, yeah. I'm just waiting to catch up. I'm all slowly but surely. I'll, I'll get there. <laughs> zero and zero now for the year. <laughs> yeah, Tim. Tim's going to start playing a lot. By the way, this is uh, – I feel like we – I think we talked about this. In season 11 of Buy Sell, Tim was still one of one, so he was a perfect one <laughs> of one in season 11. There, there, he hasn't missed a season of Buy Sell, even though he's been – he was gone for yeah. over a year, but how about that? Crazy. Uh, moving to the NFL with our next answer by ourselves that the team that scored first in the Packers Bears game last Thursday would win by three points or more. That was a sell. The Bears scored first with a field goal, but the Packers won by seven. And Greg, you sold it and were right. Ben, wrong with a buy. I was wrong, though. I said the Packers would kick the field goal first and then the Bears would right. come back and win. So I had it backwards, but I did get it right. You yeah. did get it right. Well, yeah, I mean, 50-50 shot there. Yeah. All right, uh, sticking with the NFL buyers sell that the Rams, Saints, Patriots, and Chiefs would all win their games on Sunday or that they would score a, com a combined 115 points. That ended up being a buy all 4-1, and they scored, for, they scored 133 points combined. Uh, so it's a buy on both fronts there, even though it wasn't a parlay, Greg. So, Greg, you got that wrong. Uh, you sold it. Ben, you bought it and got it correct. Well, I, I didn't get it all the way right. I said the Chiefs would score all that by themselves. <laughs> Closest <laughs> game was what, the Rams and Panthers, right? Yes. Yes. That was a real close one. It was really close. But, yeah, every team scored at least 30 points between those four. So, not bad. Yeah, high-scoring day on Sunday. Moving on to Major League Baseball, buy or sell that there'd be a team who would score at least 15 runs in a game between last Thursday and the end of play yesterday. The answer was a buy. Astros scored 21 on Sunday. The Astros also scored 15 on Monday, and the A's scored 21 on a Tuesday. Another split decision. Greg wrong with a sell. Ben Wright with the You're buy. Having a pretty good week. Yeah, the, I mean, the Astros just... And but then they got bashing. And then the A's scored yeah, 21 against the Astros. Yeah, and the Astros still scored seven in that game. Yeah, crazy. 
All right, let's wrap up our answers here with a little tennis. Buy or sell that the men's and women's U.S. Open winners when was the eight seed. She won the women's side. Rafa Nadal was a two on the men's side. So that's it. For those who need a little help with the math, that's plus two. That equals no, ten. Serena Josh, lost. Serena lost. Oh, yeah, you're right. No, you're right. So that so was. The other gal was like a 15 seed. Yeah, no, 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 she was a five seed. She was a right. five seed. So it was seven. Yep, she was seven. And Greg, you sold it and got it right. Ben wrong with a buy. Didn't think Rafa would win. Wasn't it that girl's first uh, first yes. major tournament? Uh, maybe. Some, but there was I some doubt it, right, because she had such a high seed. I bet she no, True, yeah. can't be right. No, she, she, had she had played quite a bit. Yeah. So the totals for the week, Ben, you were 5 of 10. Greg, 4 of 10. Eek. Now, Ben, you have a one-point lead, 9 to 8 on the season. Okay. Playing with the lead. Yeah, you got the lead early. One-point lead. All right, let's jump into this week's questions, and we start with Husker football. By or sell that Nebraska would have at least one 100-yard rusher and at least one 100-yard receiver in their next two games, and it can happen in separate games. So either 100 need both need, in, the, in they need, the next two games. They need to have both, a 100-yard rusher and a 100-yard receiver in their next two games, but it could happen in separate games or in the same. Haven't been close getting that total rushing. They've been able to get their receiving. I don't, I'm not worried about the receiving, so do I see a 100-yard game by a, either Adrian Martinez or a back either this week or next week? Um, I do. I'm going to buy it. I'll agree. I buy it too. Might see both this week. I'm hoping to see both this week. Okay. All right. Sticking with Husker football by sell that Nebraska totals at least eight sacks or at least six turnovers forced in their next two games. Oh. It's a lot of big mags to give away. Eight sacks or six turnovers. Correct? Yes. Yep. Eight sacks or six turnovers. Take your time, Ben. Thinking, thinking, Tim. <laughs> uh, I think we're still within the time constraints of the segment. Yeah. <laughs> the, the clock is winding down. You know, Rafa Nadal got a point taken away from him for not serving. Well, not enough uh, points taken away. <laughs> uh, Wish they'd do that to golfers. Yeah. Sure, I'll buy it. Why not? Um... I'm going to sell. I think both are just a shade high. All right. Going on to Husker Volleyball. Buyers sell that Nebraska sweeps all three of their matches this weekend. Uh, that's High Point, Denver, and Loyola Marymount. I buy. That's quick. <laughs> no respect. <laughs> I don't want Tim coming jumping down my throat. <laughs> Shoot, I've been buying everything. I'm going st to stick with the buy train. I got lots of... Lots of liquid. You're in a buying mood tonight. Yeah, yeah. buying up everything. Throwing we put it out up. there. We probably should say, Josh, too. We we, we will not have buy sell next week yes. because we're going to be carrying down the full network next Wednesday night that Nebraska Stanford volleyball match. And that is a perfect transition into our next question, also from Husker Volleyball. Buy or sell that the Nebraska Stanford match is decided by five points or fewer. Oh. Remember, the national championship last year was decided by exactly one point. Went to five sets. So you add up all the set points. You add them up, one. and yeah, plus or minus. Is it decided by five points or fewer? Well, I'm going to jump on the Ben buy train here. I'll buy that. Wow. And that's close. Vanny Magic. Man, within five points. I want to be different. I'll... 
I'll sell it to be different. All right, there you have it. We're to some college football by Purdue and Iowa with lose on Saturday. <laughs> Can we look up the lines real quick here? Sure. Yeah. One team is favored and the other one isn't. It's about a pick them with Iowa, Iowa State, right? Or one yeah. either way. And is, is Purdue a dog? Yes, they're a three and a half the last I checked. Okay. But yes, I, the last I checked, Iowa was favored over Iowa State. Purdue just lost that linebacker, too, so. Well. Yeah, I was now up to a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Opened at minus one Iowa State, so it is flipped. I'm going to say they split it. So that's a sell? That is a sell. Purdue open is a one-point favorite now. TCU by two and a half. Um, yeah, I'm selling. I think it's one wins, one loses. There you go. All right, singing with college football. Bias. Can they both lose, though, please? Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Ray calling a shot. Uh, singing with college football. Buyer sell there at least 70 points scored in the Houston-Washington State game, and at least 27 of those points are scored by each team. Ooh, that kicker. Yep. The parlay. What's Houston done early? They got waxed Oklahoma, by OU. But they scored quite they a few won. points. They, they did, Oklahoma. and then they won. They're one and one, I think. I don't remember who they played last week, though. I don't uh, Prairie View, 37-17, oh. the okay. final. Yeah, that's a tough one. So each team's got to score 27. Yes. And the total between the two is going to be 70. Right. The over-under, the last I checked, was 75 – or 74, sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm going to buy it. Wow. Here comes the air raid offense, baby, Mike Leach. The uh, Washington State brothers are back together again. <laughs> Tim and Brett wearing their matching Coug tees tonight. Hey, maybe they would have made the top 25 if Tim would have been here. Yeah, I would have pushed Waving for Waving the flag. <laughs> we're, looking, we're looking pretty silly <laughs> right now. I'm the guy now, that brings a flag to game day, so <laughs> – Tim Tim bought a Gardner Minshew Jags player <laughs> teeth over the weekend. I'm I, big I, on Minshew. I've got the I'm going a mustache out. Oh, I, I, I'd like to see that. <laughs> I, I, it'll never live up to that standard, but it, we'll get there. It'll never live up to any standard. Whoa, Tim, whoa. you should have seen it. Brett was pretty pouty when we didn't put oh, the Oh, yeah, he folded the tents up and <laughs> he <laughs> mailed it in. He, he started going full silent treatment well, after whenever, that. Whenever we get Good. to that 25 spot, I'm just always – I'm sniffing Washington By the State way, right there. our 25th team showed up pretty well Saturday, didn't they, boys? Yeah. yeah. The I, Army. Heck yeah. I'd like to also go on record and say I almost picked that upset, so – Oh, what, what are we picks. doing here? It's, I, I can't it's, on it's on you. Washington State, Houston. You bought it. I bought it. 27 bought from it. each side. Well, hmm. do I think the question is, do I think Houston gets there? Do I think Houston gets to 27? I'll say, uh, I'll say they, yeah, they're going, they're going in. I'm going to buy. Okay. I wanted to, I want to be different, but I can't. Very good. One last college football question here. Buy or sell that a team is held to 10 points or fewer in the Michigan-Wisconsin, Auburn-Texas A&M, and Notre Dame-Georgia games next Saturday. Any of the, any of them or their opponents? Right. So any of those six teams held to 10 points or fewer in those Michigan, three games. Michigan-Wisconsin, Georgia-Notre Dame. What was the third one? Auburn-Texas A&M. Three well, pretty good games a week Texas A&M and Auburn are both going to score. Right. out. 
I could see Georgia shutting down Notre Dame down between the hedges. So, yeah. if they score 11, they 11. have to score more than 10, right? Right. Or is it 10 or more? So, it's 10 points or fewer okay. is a buy. Okay. 11 points uh, or more is a sell. I think they all get to 11. So, you are selling. I'm out of cash. I'm selling. All right, finally. I guess yeah. you sold another one. Yeah, I'm going to sell it, too. I think early enough in the year, defenses will give up something. If it if somebody doesn't, I'm saying Notre Dame doesn't get to 10, but I think they all do. Got it. All right, moving on to a little NFL action. by sell that Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray combined for at least 1,200 yards passing and rushing in their next two games. Hmm. Lamar Jackson was unbelievable Sunday. Do you have their he? opponents? Yeah, well, they play each other this Sunday. Uh, the Ravens play the Chiefs in their second game, and it's the Panthers for Arizona in their second game. Oh, the Chiefs play the Raiders. Um, so in, the in their second game. Next, the oh, next oh, okay. In their okay. next game, yeah. And that's at Arrowhead. 1,200 passing and rushing yards for right. both. It's yep. not 1,200 yards passing and 1,200 yards it's rushing. Total. It's total, yes. Just to clarify. I don't know what to do. That's a good line. That's a great <laughs> line. I'm selling it. God. I wanted to be different. I was hoping you were going to buy. You've been buying all day. I've been. I might have told you. I might have. I think it's just a shade too high. All you need is one guy to not do much. Right. And so I think it's high too. So I'm going to sell. Okay. All right. How about the timing of this question, Tim? Yeah. <laughs> sticking with the NFL. Buy or sell that the classiest and most of all teams in the National Football League, <laughs> some, some might say the best, New England Patriots are plus 42 or better in their next two games. Uh, that's against the Dolphins and the Jets. Plus 42. Yep. Beat the Steelers 33-3 in the first, My first. game. No, you're first. Yeah, I'm first this time. Kind of throws a wrench in things when there's three of us back here. Plus, the Jets and the Dolphins is who they play the next two weeks. The two garbage teams. <laughs> My professional. I'm three buy. garbage teams. I'm, oh. I'm, I'm buying that. Selling the crap out of it. It's fighting words, Ben. Ben's you'll you'll rue the day. Gonna, AB's going to go from <laughs> villain to hero when he puts a cancer into the Patriots locker room. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he's right, the I'll hero just, we all need right now. I'll just let that linger. I'm go not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> go break that thing up, AB. <laughs> Sounds good. So you're selling, Ben. I'm out. All right, Greg, what is uh, I think I think it's going to be like 28 points over the Dolphins and like 10 with the Jets. So 38. I, I'm buying. Greg's buying. Love it. All right, let's move along to Major League Baseball, an MLB future question. Not too far in the future here, buy or sell, that at least five teams reach 100 regular season wins. There are three that will are almost guaranteed to make it, the Yankees, Astros, and Dodgers. The Twins. The Twins and uh, the Braves are on pace to reach 100, exactly 100 right now, entering play today. And then there are a couple other teams, including the Rays, that how many are, are a little how many, uh, off the pace. Games are left about about 17, 18 games yeah. for everybody. Yeah. Five need Braves to make have it. sixteen left, and they're going to get their couple outs away from getting their ninety-first tonight. Yep. Uh, five of them, huh? Five. 
It's a well, lot. You're right. The Dodgers, the Astros, the Yankees. the Yankees are pretty well locked. So you need two more. I don't think the Twins get to 100. Um, okay. <laughs> They're at 89. Uh, and they no have, losing tonight. Here's the thing. They have 18 games left. they got to go 11 and 7. I don't think they quite do that. Byron Buxton is out for the season. In games that he does not play, they're 26 and 32. Yeah, they're out. I don't. The Braves might get there. I don't think two get there, so I'm going to sell. All right. <clears throat> Crap. I want to be different. I mean, you guys have been different on three. How many? Three, I think. Will this question be answered next week? No. No, then I'm then I'm not going to give a point away. I'm selling. Yeah, we're not playing. It won't be answered next week or the week after. Yeah, I'm selling. I don't think they get there. All right. I think it's one too many. If it was four, I'd buy. All right, Brett, finish this thing off. All right, let's wrap up with a little basketball future question in light of uh, the U.S. Uh, finishing no better than fifth in the FIBA championships in basketball. Buy or sell that the USA men's basketball team wins gold at the 2020 Olympics. Buy. Okay. So you think everyone will play is what you're saying? Well, I just didn't want to get in trouble for taking too much time. So <laughs> I just he just had his answer locked in before the question was asked. I'm you're all rich. about USA. I'm buying. <laughs> Good. All right. All right. Two Patriots. Love, Love it. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, Ben, I'm not mad about the shot clock violations you had, but uh, I'm putting you in the penalty box for your slandering of the New England Patriots. <laughs> well, that's it's been a lot worse than that since you <laughs> departed us. So sad. Get used to it. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll keep you in line, Ben. I'll keep you in line. Don't make me go back there and deflate you. <laughs> good to have you back, Tim. Thank you. Appreciate it. Very good. Another guy that used to be here is going to come up with the next segment. Lane Grindle will join us on our Major League Baseball Insider segment. That's next. He joins us every week. He's our Major League Baseball Insider. His voice will sound familiar. And that ball's gone. Bye-bye baseball. His knowledge is endless. He looked so fast. It was unbelievable. He's our Major League Insider. Just ate a brownie. Some Rindle. Well, the top story in baseball today involves the team you cover, the Milwaukee Brewers and the unfortunate injury to Christian Yelich. What happened and, and what's the, what is the diagnosis? Well, it was his first at bat last night. Uh, against the Marlins down here in Miami. And um, he fouled a pitch off of his uh, front, which would be his right uh, kneecap. And it looked, you know, it looked fairly, fairly bad, I would say, uh, at first. I mean, you never know with those types of things. It's, it's a baseball hitting bone and no muscle or anything in between it. So you just never know. And so you're hoping it's a bruise or something like that. But he, he went down. He had his head kind of down uh, as he sat on the ground, and you wondered if it wasn't something that he knew was a little bit more serious. And ended up walking off on his own power but leaving the game. And um, then the update after the game was that he, he did fracture his kneecap. So um, beyond that, no one really knows. Um, he still has to be fully evaluated. So he is um, on his way back to Milwaukee today. And he will get a full evaluation there. And then I, I would guess most of the time with these high-profile guys like this, you get a second opinion no matter what, um, just to make sure that everybody's on the same page. And you get as many eyeballs and as many you know brilliant minds uh, working on it as possible. And then you know decisions will be made from there. No one knows yet a surgery is going to be needed. Nobody really knows what a timetable, what kind of timetable it's going to be for Christian Yelich. Uh, we just know that he's going to be out for the rest of the season. So it's a big blow for the Brewers. 
Um, I had a chance to see Christian today as he was leaving to go to the airport to fly back. And, um, you know, he, he, he was in pretty good spirits. He, he, he was smiling. He, uh, all he said to me was, he said, you know I'm going to be back. Um, and I have no doubt that he will be. I mean, this is a guy that won the MVP last year and was probably more motivated in the offseason than he's been at any point in his career because he wanted to prove all those doubters wrong, and he wanted to back it up. And he was three weeks away from maybe doing that by winning the MVP again. So um, he'll tackle this thing with everything he's got, and uh, hopefully sooner rather than later we'll get to see him on the field again because it is a, it's a real pleasure to go to the ballpark every day knowing that he's going to be on the field because you just never know what you might see. Well, the timing just stinks, right? I mean, he's, he's one of the best players in all of baseball. The Brewers are playing well. You're right in the middle of this race. You're right there with a chance to get in the playoffs. The timing just it really kind of stinks. Yeah, it does. It's, it's, it's bad timing. But, um, you know, one of the things we've talked a lot about in the last three years covering the Brewers is how tight-knit this group of guys is. Um, it's a really tight-knit group. It has a great chemistry in terms of the clubhouse. And I think that this is one of those things that you have two choices as a team and as players. You can feel sorry for yourselves that this happened and the timing of how it happened, or you can let it motivate you. And you can say, I'm going to be the guy that steps up today. And we're all going to push our chips to the middle of the table because we're a game out of the playoffs and we're going to make that run. And I really think that's what this team will do. Uh, Craig Council has done a really good job managing this team, uh, specifically in the month of September over the last couple of years when the rosters expand. That is when he is at his best, I think, as a manager. And um, I, I think that this group and the way they are, guys like Mike Moustakis, uh, Lorenzo Kane, uh, keep going on down that list, I, I think they're going to answer the call here. That doesn't mean they're going to get into the playoffs. But I think you'll see them continue to hang around. I think you'll see them make a big push. And I think you'll see them play good baseball the rest of the way. And I think that that could very well be enough. Well, one organization that continues to play good baseball are the Los Angeles Dodgers, who clinched last night their seventh straight division title. In this, in this era of pretty competitive baseball and teams kind of coming up and down, that's an amazing run, isn't it? Seven straight years? They're kind of the, the Braves of the 90s right now right? because there aren't World Series titles with it. I mean, the Braves won one, but they, they win a lot of pennants, and they're in the playoffs every year, and and uh, they're just very relevant. They're, they're really good. Um, I, I like that team a lot. I think the run that they're on, not just this year, but, but since really Dave – I mean, Don Mattingly had them in the playoffs every year too, um, and they won the division, what, three years in a row with Don Mattingly before Dave Roberts took over. So – um, they they just have I, the thing. Here's the thing about the Los Angeles Dodgers that I will say that really blows my mind is they are they they spend a lot of money and 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 they should being in Los Angeles. But really, the reason why they're great is because they've drafted well, they've evaluated well, and when they do deals to complement their team. They somehow always find a way to hold on to their superstars in the process. You know, I mean, Gavin Lux is up now. That's a Wisconsin native, and he looks like the real deal. You know, Corey Seager, everybody was asking for Corey Seager when he was coming up through the ranks, and the Dodgers were playoff contenders, and yet they never traded him. Alex Verdugo, everybody was asking for him and all these deals. And then Walker Bueller. They've never 
moved those big prized prospects, and yet they've been able to complement their team with the U Darvishes and the guys like that over the years and still be right in there. That's an amazing testament to their front office and the job they've done, not just in free agency and in spending money, but in evaluation way down the line from an amateur standpoint. Um, it, it's, they're an impressively run organization when you really take a look at it. Lang Riddle's with us. He's our Major League Baseball insider. Um, the other side of that, last year's champions, the Boston Red Sox, have blown up their front office, fired their GM this week. This, this caught a lot of people off guard. This wasn't expected, was it? No, I think everybody was surprised by it. I think when, when, when a move like this happens, you probably figure there was some friction between Dave Dombrowski and the ownership group. And I think the other part of it is, you know, Dave Dombrowski, he's, he's a 40-year Hall of Fame career executive, right? I mean, he is – he won a World Series with the Marlins. He won a couple of pennants with the Tigers. Now he's won one with the Red Sox. He, he has a, a great resume. He's one of the more powerful guys in the game in terms of executives. And so Dave Dombrowski's probably going to run the organization the way he wants to run the organization. <laughs> <laughs> and there's probably not a lot of control over him from an ownership standpoint. And, you know, you, you, you hear talk of luxury tax, and the Red Sox have certainly gone well past that and surpassed it. And so um, I, this to me, and, and I don't have any insider knowledge here, but this feels like to me that ownership felt like they wanted to take back some control of how the club was being run. And they felt like they had some really capable people internally, and they also probably have their eyes on some guys externally that they feel comfortable with moving forward. And so they're going to make the move. It's still surprising. Um, I think it surprises everybody. But there, there had to be some friction that's beyond just, we think that you could have picked better players to be on our team. <laughs> because... He, he's done a pretty good job of that. I, I can't imagine Dombrowski being out of work long. Do, would you? I mean, I, somebody's going to snap him up. Well, everybody will want to. Now, will he sit back and, and be pretty choosy about where he goes next? He might. He doesn't have to do anything if he doesn't want to. Um, so I think it's it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what kind of opportunity Right. I mean, he's the kind of guy that somebody may really reshuffle their own front office just to make room for him and make him the president of baseball operations or whatever it might be. So it'll be interesting to see. He Now, he's used to having a pretty good payroll. I mean, he's used to being able to spend some money. Obviously, he's done it the other way with the Marlins, although you know they, they, they accumulated payroll and then shed it uh, when he was there. Um, and he had pretty good payroll, obviously, with, with the Tigers with some of those those teams that, that won the AL Central all those years. But um, so he might not be the right fit at the, in the right market. You know, I don't know if he's the right fit in the Kansas City, right? But I, I think that he, especially at this point in his career, I don't know that he wants to go start a rebuild somewhere. I think he wants to go complement a team and win. Yeah. All right, Lang Rindle with us uh, from Miami. Uh, saw a little bit of your game last night. It looks like a pretty sleepy atmosphere you're broadcasting from this week. Yeah, it's tough. Um, there's just no other way around it. I mean, you can try to sugarcoat it, coat it all you want, but um, Marlins Park just doesn't draw. I mean, they drew 7,100, I think was the number last night. It might have been 72, 6,700 the night before. It's a, it's a small ballpark anyway, but, I mean, it's, I mean, I think it holds like 30. So 
Um, and that's the announced attendance too, Greg. I mean, if we really wanted to, we could start counting in the first inning and probably have the attendance for you by the fifth. Wow. Um, it's just tough. Um, and it's, you know, it's indoors. So it's kind of a warehouse feel. We had the first night people, you know, yelling back and forth from one. I mean, I'm not talking about the sections. I'm talking about one guy yelling at his friend across the stadium and their voices were echoing back and forth and you can pick it out. I mean, that's just, it's interesting. They have a hard time drawing fans down here. Um, The heat has something to do with it. The team right now has a lot to do with it too. I, I will say this though, this Marlins team, they play hard. Don Mattingly gets these guys to play very hard every single night. And you better be ready to play when you come down here. I mean, it, it's easy to come here and sit on the beach and get comfortable and then go to the ballpark and there's not a lot of atmosphere and kind of sleepwalk through the game. And there's still Major League Baseball players on the other in the other dugout. Um, so it's easy to come down here and get beat if you're not ready to go. And the Brewers have handled this trip very, very professionally so far, I would say, in terms of being ready to go in each game. All right, very good. Well, good luck with the rest of the series. I know you're headed to St. Louis. We do not have a show next Wednesday, so it'll be two weeks before we talk to you. And by then, it's it'll be crunch time in the in the playoff hunt. So uh, be safe the next couple of weeks. We'll have a pretty good idea by then. Should be fun. Thanks, Greg. There he is, Lane Grindle. Welcome back, Sports Honda here on a Wednesday night. Just a couple of minutes left in the program tonight. Been a fun one. We get some great calls particularly during hour number one of the program. Husker fans still have that great passion for this program and can't wait for this game on Saturday night to try to put last Saturday behind us as the Big Red take on Northern Illinois. 7 o'clock as we get that one underway, 2 o'clock for pregame coverage with the opening drive on Saturday afternoon. It's a busy weekend for Husker volleyball. John Cook was in studio last night. They have the Emeritus Classic. They'll actually have two matches on Friday noon at the Devaney Center and then 7.30 and then one match uh, on Saturday at 1 o'clock. And don't freak out because John Baylor is not going to be there this week. He uh, is going to be attending a friend's wedding. And so Matt Cotney is going to have the call for Husker Volleyball along with Lauren Cook-West over the weekend. And I know JB was out last night for the radio show, and Lauren hosted that with uh, Coach Cook. And so don't freak out if you don't hear JB this weekend. Nothing's wrong. He's just going to be attending a friend's wedding over the weekend. Thanks to Ben, to Josh, to Brett, to Tim, and to all of you for listening tonight. Have yourself a great night. We'll do it again tomorrow. Good night.